welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. Today on the Educational Renaissance podcast, we have with us Dini Van Pelt. Dini Van Pelt is president of Advanced Christian Schools Association, is a Cardis Senior Fellow, a Fraser Institute Senior Fellow, and holds appointments with two universities, visiting research fellow in Charlotte Mason Studies at the University of Cumbria in the UK, and non-resident scholar at the Center for School Leadership at Baylor University. Currently chair of the board of the Charlotte Mason Institute, she just co-led the sold-out Charlotte Mason Centenaries Conference and was editor of the Charlotte Mason Centenary Monograph Series. Previously associate professor of education and director of teacher education at Redeemer University in Hamilton, Ontario, and formerly a secondary school teacher in both Christian and public schools, she has a master's and a PhD in education. Van Pelt has researched and published frequently on aspects of school choice in Canada, education spending, and school sector enrollments. She has led international research collaborations funded by the Social Science and Humanities Research Council, which led to the digitization of much of the Charlotte Mason collection at the Armit Museum in the UK. She has served as expert witness and presented at numerous academic and education conferences across North America. Currently a writer for the digital newspaper, The Hub, Van Pelt's work has been regularly featured in Canadian print and broadcast media. Deanie, welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast. It's wonderful to be with you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. What's really wonderful is we often sit at the intersection of classical Christian education and Charlotte Mason education. To have somebody with expertise and background in Charlotte Mason literature and research is really exciting. And I think our audience is going to benefit a lot from having you on our show. And really what I'd love to get us started with is, is just learning more about who you are and your background with Charlotte Mason. How did you discover our friend Charlotte Mason? I think I discovered her the way many folks do. I was a young mom. I had a five-year-old. She was not thriving at the local school. And we had a sense that something could possibly be different. Now, I was a public high school math teacher. I had all the credentials, you know, that I was certified teacher in the province of Ontario, taught at, as I say, both Christian schools and public high schools. And I thought I knew it a little bit about education, but it wasn't until I had my own children and started looking at education through the eyes of a parent and through the eyes of a child who wasn't being nourished, that I started actually asking the, the deeper, the more philosophical questions about why do we educate anyway? And are we sure we've got this right? And when our daughter did in fact drop out of kindergarten, someone handed me this book. And in those days, it was pink, 
And it was called, still is, For the Children's Sake, written by Susan Schaefer Macaulay. And Susan had a similar quest. And she wrote about it maybe 10 years earlier than my uh, meeting her through this book. And her solution was the education philosophy of this woman called Charlotte Mason. So her own children started flourishing under that approach to education. So that piqued my interest. Mm. We're in the 90s, Patrick. The internet is hardly a thing. And even if it was, there wasn't much on it. So I had to find the few books I could get my hands on and try to understand who she was. I found I was reading so widely about education and why we educate and is it possible to do it differently that I thought, well, why don't I maybe go get a master's degree? So you've got a homeschooling mom, three young children. I started taking night courses and started writing and and thinking more deeply and then ended up being able to do a thesis um, analyzing the coherence of Charlotte Mason's philosophy of education. That was, well, I mean, spoiler alert, should you ever read my thesis? Um, Yeah, her philosophy turns out is a coherent philosophy of education. So that really ignited my my thoughts about, well, why don't we see more of her uh, approach to education? Where are the Charlotte Mason schools? Where are the Charlotte Mason homeschoolers even at that time? Which kind of got me thinking about, well, wait a minute, what about the ed policy side of things? If we can't have diversity in education, maybe it's because there's not enough freedom or the regulatory constraints against opening alternative schools are sort of depressing these kinds of innovations and and new approaches for education. So I ended up getting a master's degree with much more of a policy focus, ended up teaching at the university level, focusing on education law, and, and just got a real interest in, well, what sort of policy and regulatory environments enhance the potential of ideas like Charlotte Mason's being realized not so much in the government-provided schooling, but in alternative-provided schooling. So from there, ended up in the think tank world, did a lot of studies, again, more from a policy perspective. But now I'm finding myself, although I'm working in an industry association, working towards expanding place for alternative approaches to education, to have a legitimate place on the landscape of education, I'm finding I'm really coming back to all right, who is Mason and what promise does she have and do her ideas have for mid 21st century education? That's a little bit about my story. That's awesome. Uh, I have found that when people encounter Charlotte Mason, it really transforms their thinking, not just about education, but about life, about people, about children. And I'm wondering if you had that same kind of experience where an idea just really crystallized for you, uh, your family dynamics, or or the way you approached education? Were were there any really important ideas that you gleaned from Charlotte Mason that were just really transformative for you? She does have this transformative effect on many aspects of our lives once we encounter some of her thoughts. And for us in our home, It was the prioritization of literature in our children's upbringing and also the place that music would play in our family's life. And we we prioritized those things. And along the way, I became a little bit of a children's literature expert. Certainly, I try to collect books that 
are not so readily available in our public libraries anymore. And so Mason opened my idea, my, my, our mind to the role of story, well-told story, and the place that read-alouds can have in a family's life. I was raised in a home where literature myself was, was prioritized, but it was quite an individualized activity. We read a lot, but we read alone. So having a family where read-alouds and the, and the discussions that followed was really part of our culture is such a sweet memory for, for my husband and I as we look back on the years, those parenting years. And then the place of music. And it turned out that, you know, music became the profession of, of one of our children. Not that that was the intention, but music played a very large role. And this is the math teacher who would rather factor an equation and not read about emotional things like stories or and certainly is not you know, able to sing well. So transformed, I would say, the trajectory of of our family's life. That's funny. I, my story is actually the opposite. I'm a musician who's now teaching math. So <laughs> fantastic. And now for a message from our sponsor. Rethink your why. As educators interested in renewing education for a new generation, Jason Barney's new book, Rethinking the Purpose of Education, helps you rethink learning objectives around moral, spiritual, and intellectual virtues. Get your copy of Rethinking the Purpose of Education by Jason Barney, available now through our website or at Amazon.com. Well, I, I would love to hear more about the Charlotte Mason Institute. You've been really involved with them over the years and really added value with the monographs. And I'll ask you some more about the monographs in a bit, but maybe you could give us that 30,000 foot view of what the Charlotte Mason Institute is and does. Yeah, the Institute is almost 20 years old, and it was really founded by around offering a conference, an annual conference. One of the, the, the kindest, most wise, insightful people I know is Dr. Carol Smith, and he started offering these conferences. He was Dean of Education at Gardner-Webb University. He brought us together, and he just, he was able to bring people who were home educating, but also educating in schools. And the conference was gathered around the ideas of Mason and whether they were relevant and how one would apply them. Right from the beginning, there was this ethos. There's an equivalence to whether you were a theorist or a practitioner, whether you were in a government school, an independent school, a religious school, or a um, home school. We could all come to the table and we could learn from one another because we were all reading Mason's works. So there was a, a uniqueness about that conference that always attracted me to the Charlotte Mason Institute. I came back in 2019, I believe, when Dr. Smith uh, left the, the, the organization for retirement, and we wanted to really solidify the future direction of the organization. And one of the things that had happened is people would come to the conference and say, thank you, but now what? Where's the curriculum? Do you have a curriculum? So we ended up about seven years ago, or the Institute about seven years ago started to create a curriculum. And it's not the only curriculum out there. And it's it grows and it changes, but we're really pleased with it. 
And it's incredible value. Someone who purchases it um, gets all the grades and so many, many resources. So it's a work in process. It's a journey. But I would say it's the second signature aspect of the Charlotte Mason Institute. And the third, which is maybe actually underneath it all, is the fact that uh, the research and study. Mason's ideas need to be probed, they need to be prodded and not just accepted wholesale, and they need to be examined about whether they apply in our times. Otherwise, we're just doing a historical analysis, and that's all very interesting. But we are real educators in real time trying to help prepare students to live and contribute to the world of today. So conference, curriculum, research, and study, those were three key signature aspects of the Institute. And then two new areas that have come along, teacher training and school support. As more and more people, not only in the homeschooling world, but also in the school world, are interested in Mason's ideas, preparation of teachers becomes a matter of of some opportunity. And then also supporting the schools, helping them to be as professional and get established right from, from, from the beginning in a healthy way so that they can flourish. So those are two new areas that the Institute is moving into as well. It's really exciting. And it sounds like you've got all of these different platforms for different kinds of people to interact with research or with others. So it could be some people, their level of engagement is the conference. And for others, they they may want to be researching or, or reading up on recent research. And so I, I think it's really lovely that you have that wide array of kinds of experiences, curriculum, uh, school support, and, and all of that. You know, one of the projects that you just delivered on actually through CMI is the monographs. And that points to recent research directions of exploration. And that was really tied to the centenary. So it's been a hundred years since the passing of Miss Mason. And so there's just been a lot of celebration around that. And I'm, I'm curious, what has it meant for you to be celebrating 100 years of Charlotte Mason work, actually more than 100 years of that work, but 100 years since she passed away? So during COVID, when we all had a little bit of extra time on our hands to be sitting and thinking and, and collaborating with folks, a number of us got together and said, well, why don't we create a centenary series to mark 2023. And why don't we fit it within the ethos of the Charlotte Mason Institute, which is to bring a diversity of voices and contributors of various experience levels into writing about Mason. So in the end, I think we worked on the project for about 18 months. And in the end, we ended up with 18 monographs. In total, I believe there were 24 authors. Some were co-authored. And the authors come from at least three different countries, and they come from a variety of backgrounds. And that was really important for the Centenary series. We thought if we were going to analyze her ideas for whether they had relevance for education today, we we needed folks with a, with different lenses to approach her ideas. So some people, some of the authors share her faith. Some don't necessarily. Some are 
they work at the university level. Some work at the classroom level. Some have experience only in home educating. Others have experience in establishing schools, leading schools, or working in schools. And we wanted that diversity of perspectives to be there. What I also love about it is the demographic of the writers. I honestly think it spans almost six decades. So we've got a diversity of perspectives from different time. And it's a so it's our best attempt with the limited amount of time and the opportunity we had um, to come together, analyze her ideas around 18 different themes and and put it out there. And they're available now on Amazon. It is called the Charlotte Mason Centenary Series. You can Google my name because I am the series editor and they'll, they'll all come up and they're available print on demand. You'll have them on your front porch tomorrow, which is, which is really fun for us to have been able to self-publish uh, with a very academic feel to them, but also a very accessible feel. I actually came back from the Ambleside Centenary event with uh, a few books of my own. And, and they're just really exciting because it, there are so many different topics that are being treated. If people assume that Charlotte Mason is all about nature study or all about narration or, or some other thing, I think what the diversity of topics demonstrates is how wide ranging her ideas are and how many different facets of life and education and subject matters are in purview there. So it's really exciting. So if you feel like, you know, I have a very specialized interest, does Charlotte Mason intersect with that? It, it's likely that is the case. And I think these books show that. Yeah, thank you for that analysis. I that is what we were aiming to to achieve and 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 you would probably notice some are quite practical and some are one in particular deeply philosophical. And and I think that again honors Charlotte Mason as a person and and her capacities and the range of contributions that she offered at the various levels. And now for a message from our sponsor. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. Are there any new areas or avenues of Charlotte Mason research that you yourself are engaging in? For me, I had two pressing areas that have grabbed my attention for the last several decades. So I was able to write on those as author of two of them, or co-author of two of the monographs. And the one was Mason's idea about the child as a person. What I learned in my research on personhood and personalism 
is that it's actually a very 20th century concept. In fact, a Spanish philosopher who wrote in 2013, we've only got the English version in 2018, in Introduction to Personalism, he says that personhood is actually the philosophy of the 21st century. And it's, it's, it's the 21st century's opportunity to explore what that means for various areas education obviously being one of them. So I thought I was, you know, kind of moving into something that was an older idea. But Mason was radical when she said in 1886 that children are persons. Women became persons in Canada legally in 1929. And then you've got Burgos saying it's actually a 21st century concept. So while I'm delighted to have written that monograph and thought, okay, I've got my thoughts, I've done a lot of research and, and put together, you know, what I think a lot of people have said over the, the 20th century on personhood. It turns out that that's actually an area worthy of, of a lot more um, study. So, for example, when we talk about individual, the individual, that's very different than talking about the person. And some are saying, some academics are saying, this is now the era of the collective. But if you take, if you go somewhere in between, not the free-floating, autonomous, isolated individual, or the prioritization of the collective, somewhere in the middle is this thing called person, personhood, personalism. And that has incredible potential for how we live together in community and in organizations and how we educate in in the 21st century one area that you've you've actually furthered my thinking is the great recognition and the uh the fresco at uh santa maria novella it's such a beautiful fulcrum for me between the liberal arts tradition that is such a hallmark of classical christian education and charlotte mason's take on that so i i'm really appreciative of the work you've done there as well I, I'd love to chat further with you about the, the <laughs> for the great recognition, because it does yeah. kind of turn the trivium a little bit on its head by putting rhetoric as the second area. Love to chat about that further. But yeah, that I wrote about that um, in one of the monographs as well. And I sense you've, you have visited that fresco yourself. I have actually. So you, you get off the train there and it's just steps away. So many people go to the Duomo, but there's this special other place that is worth visiting in Florence. And now for a message from our sponsor. Sign up for the Educational Renaissance newsletter. Stay connected to the EdRen community to deepen your understanding of education and hone your craft as a teacher. The Educational Renaissance newsletter comes out every Saturday morning sharing each new blog post. Subscribers also get advance notice on special offers. We promise not to fill up your email with endless advertisements. Become part of the Educational Renaissance community. Subscribe today at educationalrenaissance.com. With somebody who is so invested in Charlotte Mason, you were incorporating that as a homeschool mom, thinking about policy, guiding research through Charlotte Mason Institute. I can think of no one better 
to maybe weigh in on what is the future of Charlotte Mason education? Where is it going? Is it, are we expecting a time of flourishing or struggle? I, I'm, I'm just super curious to know what you think about this. Well, I think the conference, Patrick, and thank you so much for attending and participating as you did. I think the conference gave us a glimpse into what is possible going forward. First of all, sold out. We had to we had to stop accepting participation. We had participants from over 12 countries. We had, as we said, a variety of participants. There's something quite democratizing about Mason's approach to education. Everyone who's interested in education or in leadership or in how to live a good life can access Mason at some level and her, and her ideas. So that in itself shows that there's a future for further study and impact of Mason. What I loved about the conference was the collaboration across institutions as well. So where the university might be in the ivory tower and quite separate from schools on the ground, certainly from homeschools, we didn't feel that. There was this collaboration and respect for the insights from various perspectives from government school perspective, from classical school perspective, from a um, other sort of forest schooling was well represented. I mean, other perspectives on education, and they were invited into the dialogue. So I see an enormous amount of potential going forward for how invitational Mason is for collaboration and conversation. The second incredible potential has to do with our moment. As you know, independent schooling, innovation in education is on the uprise. Not only are more parents choosing something different for their kids, more schools are being opened almost than ever before across North America and also, you know, even in the UK and there are other other countries across the world where there's uh, South Africa, the Philippines, we're just seeing different uh, Brazil, we've we've learned about. So we're seeing more independent schools being opened. But even more interesting to me is that these schools are so focused on new ideas about pedagogy. So Mason is one of them. And they're focused on new delivery models. So we're okay with hybrid schools. In the past, it was, you know, maybe government school, private school, homeschool. Now there's this thing in between private school and homeschool, and we're all not sh quite sure what it is. These, these hybrids, these three-day-a-weeks, these some courses are online, some are in groups, some are studied individually. Well, what are they? W what is this new delivery mechanism that kind of puts the child as a person and their capacities at the center, but isn't really child-centered education, There, there's a new context. So I see this being a moment for incredible growth globally for Charlotte Mason education because of the appetite and the curiosity for new forms of education. I would say the third aspect of the hope that I would have is Mason's philosophy is based on the curriculum pivots on history and a key form of the education is through living books, as you've articulated really well elsewhere and you and your colleagues have done so. Rich texts, you call them. There are so many beautiful books 
being written and produced and republished. Living books are now so available that offering a Charlotte Mason education in a way that isn't terribly expensive is now possible. So this growing appetite for the role of literature, literature, which obviously is is the use of story in education, and those that are Christians and embrace Mason's idea, we are people of a story. We follow a person. So it's this kind of movement in what's available on the market, matching up with the philosophy it's through story that we live and learn, through the touching of the emotions, through the through the establishment, the creations of, or the 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 ennobling of our affections and the things that we care about. That's possible because of the beautiful living books that are available to us nowadays. Access to art, access to music is so immediate. We can surround our students with beauty in a way, and you've made this point in other, other work that you've done, access to it is so possible. So I see offering a Charlotte Mason education as more possible for more people than ever. It's really exciting. And some of what I'm hearing you connect Charlotte Mason to would be the ideas of the new economy. It's a post-industrial economy that is in some ways riding the rails of industries, of technologies, but now anybody, I mean, this is what this is, this podcast is basically radio, but anybody can do it. And so the platforms are there for, like you said, access to uh, remote education or to libraries that might be far distant from a rural context, for instance. And so there, there are these opportunities that the new economy provides, but also that mindset of the new economy that emboldens individuals to not just think education is about compliance and consumerism, but when you have this ennobled personhood, you're really raising these children up to a kind of endeavor that has so much potential so that we're we're actually rethinking education in all of these radical new ways that get us out of the brick and mortar ways of thinking about school, even though some of our schools are still brick and mortar. Uh, they just function differently and they're thought about very differently. So yeah, it's it's super interesting to think about how Charlotte Mason fits into this uh, very exciting time. I, I really appreciate how you've summarized that. And you know, I think Mason's understanding that the child is a whole person, intellectual, but also physical. And the very reasonable recommendations that she has for how our day ought to be shaped when we're with children, the use of our hands, the use of the schedule so that there's a lot of time available to be out of doors. These seem very, in one way, very counterintuitive to a digital era and to a time in which we will we spend a lot of time in front of screens, but they also seem like very reasonable proposals. And, and I think that's another part of, as you say, this post-industrial moment that we're living in. So there's elements of outdoor life, of literature, of history. There's just so many aspects to 
what uh, Charlotte Mason provides. From my vantage point, uh, having worked within the classical Christian education movement, I think we at Educational Renaissance are sensing a great hunger in that movement for pedagogy and more uh, sophisticated pedagogy than maybe what was originally proposed in the 90s. Uh, so oftentimes when we are speaking at conferences, we get a lot of people coming to us because they've heard about Charlotte Mason, they want to learn more, or they're actually finding as they read and learn about Charlotte Mason that she has answers that actually make the classical education work better, if that's a way of saying it. And so that's, that's the other aspect uh, of a future I see for Charlotte Mason is so many different voices and perspectives are finding in her a voice that is compatible with the objectives they're trying to achieve. We're definitely seeing a, a classical movement that is uh, starting to ask questions that she is giving answers to. So that's an exciting future that I'm seeing as well. Well, and her proposal for a liberal education for all generous education that exposes a child to a wide variety of, of topics through story, through literature, and wants the child to be at peace, to have joy in their learning, and to have wonder and awe and, and have a sense of happiness. That's pretty compelling. And I think that makes liberal education or a liberal arts education thought about more fulsomely with the child at the center as a person, I, th I think, as you say, that's incredibly compelling and can draw people from a, a wide variety of movements where they've seen a paucity, perhaps, in, in the approach that they're taking. Well, Dini, it's been a delight chatting with you. Uh, I'm wondering if there are any thoughts that you have, uh, if there are ways in which our audience could potentially access resources or get to know more about the work you do or the work of the Charlotte Mason Institute? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking, Patrick. I think one last thing I would want to say about Charlotte Mason, because it is the centenary um, of, of her life. She was an incredible woman. She was a leader. She had a humble posture of being able to convey her ideas, bring people together around them, and to do it in a way that she ennobled people to action. So Charlotte Mason, the educator, is endlessly fascinating. Mm -hmm. But Charlotte Mason, the leader, is also a fascinating study. And I think we can learn more about leadership from her and how we do it together in collaboration. I think we can learn from her the importance of setting up institutions, creating something that can outlast individuals. And so she draws our attention to the importance of creating journals, creating organizations, gathering together and doing things in good order, New, obviously new ways and uh, of doing that. But I think we can learn an enormous amount from her about healthy organizations. So I would just, I would, I would leave that as well as, as some, as an area of further exploration for all of us. And, and more practically, very specifically, the Charlotte Mason Institute does have a curriculum called the Elvieri curriculum. We are in our seventh year. We've repackaged it last year and we think it's very beautiful. Every year we up, 
update the books that uh, that are available and that we recommend in the curriculum. You can open it up, set up a schedule, choose the subjects that you want to teach, whether it's in classroom or homeschool. And I would highly, highly recommend that anyone interested in offering, designing or offering a Charlotte Mason education, take a look. Obviously, we love it if people use the whole package, but I've heard of some schools saying we love your curriculum on X subject. We bought the whole package, but we're starting with just using your art curriculum, for example. So I would highly recommend take a look at that. Take a look at our conference. Ordinarily, it's in Kentucky or somewhere in the central U.S., it's a beautiful space, not a large conference. Uh, we've never had more than 500 um, people, so usually two to 300. It's a it's a time of building incredible friendships. Uh, we bring in quality speakers, but we also create a lot of space for dialogue and and building relationships. the The conference is gets to, as I said, the the heart of what the Charlotte Mason Institute, who who the people are, and what it can offer. So I would direct attention to, to those two things. And then our obviously our growing teacher training and our school support. Quite a few schools have come to us for help this year. So we're increasing our services and what we're able to do to support in that area as well. We aren't the only organization, as you know, that supports Charlotte Mason's ideas. There are many others and there are many, many groups. And we would highly recommend that people get active at the local level participate with your own community. Many of Charlotte Mason's ideas are being woven into church programs. There are living libraries all over the United States. Look for those, start borrowing, maybe build your own uh, living books library. And uh, just there, as I said, there are many ways of accessing Mason's ideas. And as you noted, some of the people that are attracted to Mason's ideas are so thoughtful and interesting. So we're all richly rewarded for entering into this space on a personal as well as professional level. Well, Dini, I'm so appreciative of your time and thoughtfulness about Charlotte Mason. The insights that you've brought are are just tremendous. And I know our audience is, is going to be super excited about uh, today's interview and uh, we'll definitely put those links in the show notes. So uh, thank you so much. And we wish you all the best in your research and in your work. Thank you very much, Patrick. It was a pleasure to be here today. And thank you for your continued inquiry on Charlotte Mason's approach. Today, we've been talking with Dini Van Pelt about the life and legacy of Charlotte Mason. In order to access new episodes of the Educational Renaissance podcast, we invite you to subscribe on whatever app you listen to the Educational Renaissance. Leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. That's going to help us reach as many people in our movement as possible. You can also access great resources from Educational Renaissance through our website. There you'll find not only our blog articles, but also books we've published as well as on-demand webinars. We invite you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. That's a great way to receive updates from Educational Renaissance about new blog posts, new podcasts. The newsletter is also a great way for us to provide to our subscribers promos on different products. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all again next time.